job by our uh, creative team, and uh, Connor played the part of the idiot well. And uh, <clears throat> don't don't awe don't awe him. Uh, no, <laughs> maybe you can't relate exactly to that. Uh, maybe you've never had a failed internet wedding ceremony gone bad, but maybe you have relationships like that. Maybe you have relationships that you. You thought you knew the person or there was some uh, information or a profile or, or somebody said, oh, you'd be perfect. Or, and I'm not just talking about dating relationships, friendships. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a ton of different aspects of the way that relationships form. But, but maybe you have, I, I know I have some friendships where like the first time we met or the first time we, we kind of hung out or whatever, I thought, man, this guy, he, he's exactly like me. We're going to hang out. We'll be, you know. I dated different people and it was like, oh, this is going to be perfect. And, and it just seemed to never play out like I thought because knowing about that person and actually knowing that person were two totally different things. What I thought I knew or what I thought I was told or, or the things that I thought would be the connection pieces there, that, that turned out to be something completely different once we actually got to know one another. And I think in our culture, what we see is that we see that this tends to take place in a lot of our relationships. Um, and like I said, it's not just dating relationships, but this is Valentine's weekend. And so uh, we, we do understand that our dating relationships, our marriages and uh, the things that we have. But these kind of relationships where you don't really know as much as you want to know us about somebody can take place in any relationship. I have four children. Me and my wife do. Cooper is seven. Branson turned five this week. Tucker is two and a half, and Kinley is seven months old, so pray for us. Um, but um, we, we have four children, and, and I, even in th- those relationships, I, I just sometimes don't know all that I'm supposed to know about my kids. I know that makes me a terrible person. I'm a very engaged father. Like I, I, I spend time with them. I coach baseball teams. I come home from work, and we, we do things together. My, my second son and I, Branson, we built this like crocodile wooden puzzle thing. The other, I mean, like spend time with them. But when my wife says, "Hey, will you go get you know Cooper's favorite shirt? He wants to wear that to school tomorrow," I'll be honest. I, I don't I don't really remember which one of all the shirts hanging there is his favorite. I don't know that. She does. She knows all about them. She knows every, she'll say, hey, um, listen, before they go to bed, can you go get um, Branson's favorite juice? He, he's very particular. He doesn't like certain juices. He has this one kind of juice in our refrigerator. And you would think now that he's five years old, I would remember that. But when she asks, hey, will you go get Branson's favorite juice? I, I, I tend to forget which one is it. Is it the apple juice? Is it the, the red Sunny D or is it the orange? I can't remember sometimes. And so sometimes knowing, I I know my kids and I know about my kids, but actually like knowing them deeply, some of the intricacies of the relationship, sometimes I'll be honest, I just, I just can't remember. But my wife always knows my phone is making some kind of crazy noise. Let me give this to somebody. Here we go. Throwing it to you. Please don't fall. Um, uh, But here's the deal. Like not knowing all the intricate details is something that my wife does incredibly well. And I thought, you know, it's Valentine's weekend. I thought I would bring my wife up here. She's going to kill me. Come up here, Corey. Come here. She had no clue this was coming. Um, this is my wife, Corey. And she is the one, she's going to kill me. She is the wonderful mother of our four kids. And, you know, I just thought this is Valentine's weekend. And, and I know 
that like there's certain things that, you know, women like on Valentine's weekend. So I thought, okay, um, I I know about women. I know about my wife a little bit. So like, I'll, I'll just, she likes flowers, right? All women like flowers. I think I just broke your pedal. Um, so I'm going to give her some flowers, but see, I know her better than just general women. So like women love flowers, but my wife's not, she doesn't love flowers. She likes them, right? You're just not a big flower person. So I thought, but everybody likes candy, right? So I thought, okay, I'll get some candy. And so I'll go over here and I'll get her some candy. This is a Reese's heart. Who wouldn't love, or, well, she doesn't. So I got this cause I love Reese's, but you know, so I got, so, so I thought, you know, she, but see, I know my wife, not only do I know about her, We've known each other since we were 13 years old, best friends all through our teenage years, all through college. After she quitted dating all these, quitted, quit dating all these losers she, she got with me. So um, I know that her favorite candy is this assorted truffles pack right here. And so I'm going to give, this is my Valentine's present for you. You can keep all this, but I'd like the Reese's when we get home today. So this is you. And so I'm going to give this to her because I love you. It's Valentine's Day. Uh, not today, but Tuesday is, and I'll forget on Tuesday, I'm sure. So, uh, happy Valentine's Day. Love you. All right, so, here, here's the point, other than I really wanted to be able to do that. Um, if I just went off the general idea of what, you know, what women like, or what women, I might just get flowers. If I thought, well, maybe just beyond flowers, I'll just get some candy. So, I, I got that. But I know what her favorite is, because we, we have this relationship she has allowed me to know more about her because she told me what her favorite was so that I wouldn't forget she wrote it down. On the inside of my ring is inscribed our anniversary date. So that I'll never forget. If I'm wearing my ring, which I should all the time, all I got to do is look at it and there's my anniversary date. So she, she tells me the things that she likes and, and I, I learn the things that she likes so that I can know that so that our relationship grows deeper and deeper. And so today we're going to look at this idea of intimacy. Intimacy is a word that has been stolen by culture. It's a word that has been misdefined, misused. It it tends to mean things that it really doesn't mean in in its everyday usage. A lot of times when you hear the word intimacy, you think about something related to the physical relationships or things like that. And this is is not what we're dealing with today. We want to look at the idea of the actual usage of intimacy and how we can know one another in these deep relationships not just marriages, not just dating relationships, but in, in friendships and in, in godly relationships that I believe are designed for us to grow and encourage one another, edify one another, and also in a relationship with God. So let's define the word intimacy here. Intimacy means a close, familiar, and usually affectionate or loving personal relationship with another person or group. The second way it could be defined is a close association with or detailed knowledge or deep understanding of. And so that's really cluttered or whatever. I heard the best definition when I was about 14 or 15 years old. My pastor at the church that I was attending at that point defined the word intimacy just by using the word itself. And some of you are going to steal this and you can have it because it's amazing. You can define intimacy by looking at itself. Into me, see. Intimacy can be defined just by into me, see. When we talk about intimacy here, what we're talking about is the idea of becoming vulnerable to someone else. The reason that this word is easy to be utilized in other capacities is when we look at physical relationships, we're very vulnerable in those those moments. And so I can understand why people would use it. But when we look at the idea of intimacy, we are saying, I am making myself vulnerable here to the point that I want you to know me through and through. I want you to know everything about me. I want to make myself known to you 
in every way possible. And so I just kind of took that and I, I made my own definition up. Intimacy is about vulnerability that leads to deeper knowledge, appreciation, or it says appreciate, and affection for. So intimacy is about vulnerability that leads to deeper knowledge, appreciation, and affection for. I took the, the definitions that we had and the idea of into me, see, making myself vulnerable to someone else to, so that we can have this intimate, close personal relationship that that kind of comes from a knowledge of one another an appreciation for one another and an affection for one another and so when we look at all this that that what it means in our relationships what it could possibly mean in a relationship with god i want us to go to the text ephesians chapter one if you've got your bibles you can flip there we've been dealing with ephesians chapter one now for about five weeks Um, next week we conclude this series this series is called chosen we've been looking at this this letter that paul writes to the church at ephesus and it's a, it's a letter to a group of people that in the book of Acts, Paul went and helped establish this church in the city of Ephesus. Now he's in prison. This is several years later. He's in prison and he is writing back to this group of people and encouraging them, but also helping them to understand some things maybe in their, their ideology, their theology, their thoughts and philosophy here that they need to, to really understand. And so he's, he's talking to them in this passage. And Pastor looked at verse 18 last week. We're going to jump back now to verses 15, 16, and 17. But if you've been with us for several weeks, a few weeks ago, I talked in verses 13 and 14 about the Holy Spirit. I talked about the, the hope that we have, the looking ahead to the, to the security of our salvation, the glorious inheritance that we have through the Holy Spirit. And then Pastor jumped to verse 18 to talk about the hope that we have, that, that the world that we live in now is not all that there is, but that we have a hope. Because of God, because of what he has given to us. And so right in the middle of these last two messages, these last two texts that we've looked at, is verses 15, 16, and 17. And Paul really writes them, these three verses, a very personal uh, part of this that is, is deeply ingrained in the relationship that he has with them. And this is what it says beginning in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, when I read these three verses, I see several relationships that exist here. He talks in verse 15 about their love for one another. He's heard about that. In verse, the end of verse 15 and in verse 16, he talks about the fact that he's thanking God for them and he has his prayer for them. So it, it, it talks about the relationship that he has with them. And then in verse 17, he talks about the prayer that he has that they would grow in their relationship, their knowledge, their understanding of God. And so he talks about the relationship to one another, his relationship with them, and then their relationship to God. And I think there's a lot of things because our lives are centered around relationships, Anytime that I'm struggling in my life, it's because I'm either, I'm either lacking in relationships or the relationships that I have are they're, they're somehow strained or hurting. But if you look at the idea that our, our culture tells us, statistics would tell us that 82% of people in church, so if we were to just utilize that today, it's not exact science here, but 82% of people that are sitting in church this morning on a Sunday morning at any church of any denomination say that they feel completely lonely. 82% of people in church. This is a place where we come together to be together. It's not just so that you can come and stare at me or stare as people sing. It's about a corporate environment 
that we can grow together, learn God's word, worship together, experience the power and presence of God. But really, it's about community. What we desire, we're only six weeks old as a campus since we, when we launched on January the 8th. But what we desire is that as we, as we kind of continue to grow as a campus, that our relationships would want, with one another would continue to grow. That as you walk in, you, you begin to see people that you've seen the last several weeks and you, you start to learn their names. You start to learn their stories. You, you engage people. You talk to them. You figure out, you know, I'm, I'm standing next to the same people every Sunday picking up my kids out of these classes because I have kids that age. And evidently they have kids that age. And so we begin to, to recognize that maybe I need to get into this relationship with these folks. I need to talk to them. I need to learn their name. We have a, a program that we offer called Life Groups. And this is definitely a sales pitch right here. So just perk up. We have life groups. And this is not this like really daunting. You should be scared of this. We're going to come together and some kind of seance. We're, no. You know what we do at my life group? We eat food. We play games. And we talk about what God's doing in our life. Good and bad. In the games, the guys always beat the girls. It just happens. I don't know how that happens. It just, it just happens. The food, always good. I always partake in that. This is what life groups are. It's just doing life together. And so when you leave today, if you're not in a life group, I encourage you. You go by that next steps table in the lobby. They want to help just get you information. If you, check, if you check out a life group and you say, I hate everybody there, we'll get you a new one. <laughs> we'll just tell them that the night of the week didn't work for you. I mean, whatever we got to do, we want you to get into relationships because we do not want you to show up here on a Sunday morning and 82% of you feel like you're lonely. We want to help bring relationships into your life so that you can nurture those relationships and, and develop those relationships so that these are people that you're doing life with. You're doing life together. You look at the idea of marriage. Our pastor said Friday night, uh, Pastor Mark, he said Friday night at an event we had at our, at our Marietta campus, he said that he believes that the reason that marriage is one of the most uh, fought against uh, entities in all of society and all of culture is because it is the best example, according to Scripture, of, of, of Christ, of God's love for his people. Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5 talk a little bit about this relationship and what that looks like. And we talk about, you know, husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church and wives loving their husbands and submitting their husbands as the church loves Christ. And so there's this idea that this is the best depiction we have on earth. But what we see is that we see in our culture that this relationship, this, this thing that should be so sacred is completely and utterly falling apart in a lot of sectors of society. And the statistics are no different in the church. The rates of divorce are the same in the church as they are outside of the church. And what we find is that the three years that divorce is most prevalent in a marriage is the first year. You get into it and you go, whoa, this is not what I thought. Um, I didn't know you liked cats that much. Whatever we saw in the video. So we get in year one and we're like, I'm out. Year seven. Heard of the seven-year itch. Year seven, it's statistically proven that year seven is, is the second uh, the next kind of hurdle you got to get past in a marriage. And it's just kind of that you just get bored with this marriage. It's just, it's not what you thought, but you tried to hang in there. You tried to make it work, but it's just not working. And you're looking around and other people are happy and there's grass is greener somewhere else. And so you just go over there and you're out. You know what the third year is? Year 24. You know why? The kids move out. You got nothing left to talk about. I mean, I, other than life being centered on our children, I don't even know you anymore. 
year one, year seven, year 24, we see that there is not this intimacy within our relationships. We have not made ourselves vulnerable to one another. We've not allowed ourselves to be vulnerable so that we say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I don't know. This is what I do know. This is what I love. This is what we need to work on. These are the things I don't understand about you. These are the things you probably don't understand about me. And we don't cultivate that relationship. And it's just we're losing our marriages because we lack intimacy. We lack that deep, meaningful relationship in dating relationships. What we find is that we find these relationships that are completely based on either the emotional connection we have to one another or the physical connection that we have to one another, but we never really ever get into the deep parts of knowing one another to see if this is actually going to work. Relationships are such an incredibly huge part of our lives. I don't want to take it out of context, but very early in your Bible in Genesis, God's looking at Adam and he says, it's not good for him to be alone. I believe that everything about the rest of the narrative of God is that he has chosen us to serve him individually amongst a corporate group of people in relationships with one another. I believe that's what we're called to do and called to be. And we read this passage here in Ephesians 1, and we see that Paul is talking to them about their relationship to one another. And he says, listen, I have heard about your faith in in our Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Like, I'm in prison And I've heard that you love God, but even beyond that, I've also heard how you love one another. That's huge. You know what I would love for our reputation to be here in this community? Among a lot of other things is that we are loving, caring, friendly people here as a church. That our campus is known not just for what we're against or what we we are, are, but what we're even for, but really that we're just loving and caring. We're grace-filled people. I want that to to permeate our reputation. I want it to go throughout this community because what Paul's saying here, listen, I'm hearing not just that you love God, but that you love people. It's huge. Then he goes on to talk about that he, he, he thanks God for them. He remembers them in his prayers and he has this prayer for them about the way that they can love God. Let's look at the first verse, verse 15 that we just read. I want us to look at this, this idea of what he's actually talking to them about, about the way that they love one another. Verse 15 says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. The word love that's used here is the word agape. And so this word is one of several that could have been used in the, way, in the Greek language of the way that we're going to translate it to the word love. There are several in, in, in the New Testament specifically. One of them is, is phileo or filio. Um, it, it's the word that we use to translate the word Philadelphia or brother, the city of brotherly love. It's, it's that idea. There's also the word eros or eros, which is the word we, we translate into the word erotic. That word is not used at all in the New Testament, but it's another word that could be translated to love. But this word here, agape, if we're going to define it, means affection, goodwill, or love. And the second one, I love this, is selective desire for something or someone. It's not a conditionally based love necessarily. It is the idea that I am selecting to love you. I am selecting, I'm choosing to love you. This word is seldom used in other secular Greek literature. And when it is referred to, it's referred to uh, as this selective idea that it's, it's about choosing to love 
someone. You know, the Old Testament was not originally written in Greek. It wasn't written down in Greek. But when it was translated into the Greek, and sometimes that's referred to as the Septuagint, it, this word agape in the, the Old Testament Greek is used about 300 times. And in almost every single one of those instances, it is referring to God's selective, exclusive love for his Hebrew people. So this word that, that Paul's saying here, listen, I have heard about the way that you love people is the same idea here of the way that God loves people. That we are choosing, we are selecting to love them, to choose them with our lives. This, other, this word is also used in Matthew 22 when we look at the greatest commandment. When we're, the idea of loving God, that word agape is used there. It's used in John 3.16. God so loved the world. He agaped the world that he sent his only son, Jesus. In Galatians chapter 5, we read where there are fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you've, you've heard of that before. And there, there are many fruit of the Spirit. But the first one right there, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's agape. It's this type of love for one another. First John 4 and 7 says that everyone who loves, who agapes, is born of God. So this is not just some conditional word like we have in the English language. We only have one word. I love my wife. But I love Mexican food. I love North Carolina Tar Heel basketball, except for Wednesday night when Austin Rivers hit a three-pointer with one second left. I was a little upset about that. But I love those things. It's the only word I have to use. But I love my wife more than I love Mexican food. And I love my wife more than I love North Carolina basketball. But this is the idea that there's only one word we really have to utilize here. But when we look at the idea of agape, we're saying, listen, this is something that God loved the world. He agaped the world. He selected. He chose us so much that he sent his one and only son. So Paul's saying here, listen, the relationships that you have, they're not just conditional, just, you know, surface relationships. They're not just the kind of relationship that we say, hey, I, you know, yeah, I love you now. But if we ever quit meeting this condition, if you don't do that, that I like or this thing or we, you know, we I'm out. It's not that. It's not that it's the same kind of love that God has in selecting and desiring us. If we jump to verse 17 here, we see that Paul has already talked about, he, he has this prayer for them that he's praying. And this is what he says in verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The idea here that so that, the, the, the phrase there at the end, so that, that means that what we just prayed, what we just said, that's the equal sign. All of this that I'm praying equals this thing coming after. And what he says is, so that you may know him better. What I am praying is that God would do this so that you can know him better. So what did he pray? He prayed that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. What is know him better? Know him better is not just these moments on Sunday morning. Know him better is discipleship. It's spiritual growth. It's the things that take place outside of these moments. It's the things that when we leave this moment and we go to our homes individually, 
with our families. We can open God's word. We can read God's word for ourselves. We can look to see what it says about God. God gives us the Holy Spirit. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And that Holy Spirit is the spirit here of wisdom and revelation. But it's also, it's more than that. It's not just the Holy Spirit of God. It's also the spirit that exists inside of us that God placed. James chapter 4, I believe, says that God jealously desires the spirit that he placed in us. And so it's the spirit of God connecting to the spirit that lives in us. Connecting there so that we have this wisdom of God. But also so that we can understand the wisdom that we're learning. You ever read the Bible and you're just like, I have no idea what that meant. Anybody? No, just me? Okay, that's fine. All right. Um, I've read the Bible, and there are moments when I'm like, wow, I have no idea what that meant. I'm alone. I get that. You guys, you guys don't have that. But I'm getting this wisdom from God's word. And, and in that moment, I'm trying to decide, okay, what does this mean? What does this look like? I, I have no idea. The word know him better, the word know right there, and, and I put the Greek word up here, but when I listened to what it sounded like, it sounded like a pig's nose. So I don't know if that's actually how you say that in the Greek. We'd have to bring Justin up here again. But it pretty much, when I listened to this guy reading it, it sounded like a pig nose to me. A pig noses. Um, and this is what it means. It literally means illumination that leads to increasing knowledge and understanding that leads to more illumination. I want you to get that. That's huge right there. Illumination. That leads to increasing knowledge and understanding. That leads to more illumination. It's this cyclical process that says God reveals himself to me so that I can know him and understand him better. And as I do that, he reveals more of himself to me. That's incredible. It's like me getting in my car tonight when it gets dark and turning on my headlights and getting out on the road. And taking that part of the journey, I'm traveling to a destination, but really all I see is from the end of the front of my car to the end of my headlights. And as I move into what my headlights were just illuminating, I get to that place and more is illuminated out in front of me. That is a walk with, a relationship with, a journey with God. And I know I've been there. I know sometimes it's like, man, I don't even know where to go with God. I don't even know what to do. I'm not sure what the next step is. You know what I believe that you do? You live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is not going to be on the screens. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You know what it doesn't say? It does not say he will take one step for you. But I believe you live out what the children of Israel did in the Old Testament. When they were out in the desert, they were looking for this this place that God was leading them. And they just had to get up every day and follow the the cloud of fire. They had to to follow this, this presence of God. And they would just take a step one day and then they would look for God. And I believe that as God illuminates himself to us, he reveals himself to us. We can grow in knowledge and understanding. And as we do that, he illuminates more of himself to us. It's spiritual growth, it's discipleship, because I believe that a lot of times, and I have fallen victim to this, that we come in here on Sunday morning, and this is the only time all week that we are trying to have this intimate moment with God. It's like if if Valentine's Day was the only time I ever told my wife I loved her. If it was the only time all year long where I ever expressed to her how I feel. Some of us, Do that with God. We show up on Sunday mornings and we we say, 
I love you, God. Let's have this really deep, impactful, meaningful moment here. And I believe that God is saying back to us, this is incredible. Let's, let's have this moment. But can we have another one tomorrow? Can you tell me you love me tomorrow? Can you attempt to live in relationship with me on Wednesday? Can we get out of the cycle of only acknowledging me every Sunday morning? Let's have a deep, meaningful, impactful relationship with one another. And and here's the incredible thing that God has chosen to do for us. He doesn't make us seek him without giving us the ability to find him. I know that there are some times when we feel like it. And again, I've been there. And I'm not just talking about before I got saved. There are moments where I'm, I'm living for God. I'm loving God. I'm a Christian. I am saved. Whatever you want to call it. And I'm just like, God, where are you at? Where are you at, God? But there's this incredible truth about God that he has chosen to make himself known to us. And he illuminates himself. And the spirit of God living inside of me, connecting to the spirit that God created in me, seeks out his wisdom, reveals to me the understanding of that wisdom. And then we seek more illumination of who God is. In our life. I don't want to be sacrilegious at all. So please. If I haven't already been. But I mean I don't want to be at all. I don't know if you ever did when you were a kid. But I, this is the mental picture that I got. Okay. This is, this is probably terrible. It's as if God gives us that little piece of paper. With the blue squiggly lines on it. That you just look at and you're like. Ah, I've got no clue what this means. And then the Holy Spirit is that decoder ring. That you just place right over top of it. And man, the words just pop off the page. The words just pop off the page. And so the next time that you're reading scripture, the next time that you're in a moment when you're like, man, where is God in all of this? Here's what I want you to pray. Holy Spirit, if you are the wisdom and revelation to help me understand and know who God is and what it is that he's saying to me and what it is that he wants to do for me and in me and through me, Would you reveal that to me now? Would you just kind of just help me see what it is that God is saying here? Don't be afraid to do that when you're reading the Bible. When you're reading the Bible, it's okay to ask the author what he meant here. Right? And just, just ask him. Sometimes I believe that we make it a little bit too hard. Because God wants to be known by us. And so there's a simple question. As I was kind of working through this, I was kind of preaching it to my wife this week. And here's what she said. Yeah, but how can we know God? It's a very great question. And if, if I didn't have her there, I probably would have preached this whole deal. And we never would have had this moment right here. But here's some ways that I think that we can know God. First, we can know God through creation. Psalm 19 and 5 says tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. We can walk out on this very cool, freezing cold morning and look around 
and see the incredible creation of God. Tonight, walk out of your house and look up into the heavens and see God. See the works of his hands. And if you can, find a place where you can just kind of get lost and gain some perspective in that not only does God hold all of that in the palm of his hand, he knows the ever-decreasing number of hairs on my head. He knows me. And he chooses to make himself known to me through creation. A second way that he makes himself known to me is through his word. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. He illuminates himself and the journey that he has me on, that I am living with him through his word. God's word is incredible. I encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, we'll get you one. Go to the Next Steps table. We will give you a Bible. It is one of the best ways, if not the best way, to know God. God gives us himself, reveals himself to us through his word. And this is not an exhaustive list, but the final one we're going to look at this morning is that he reveals himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Through creation, through his word, and through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, if the band will come on. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. In the past, God spoke through prophets. We're talking about the Old Testament here. He spoke through the prophets. He spoke through all the things that he utilized to speak to his people and to, 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 the, to the culture of that day. He continues to speak in those ways. But the primary way that you and I have to know God is through his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, the incredible thing about God is not only does he choose to make himself known, he chooses to make himself known to us so much so that he sent one of us to earth. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be human. So that you and I, when we're trying to decode this life and figure out how to live and what to do and what to be and how we're supposed to live out this relationship with God and, and what it means to please God and what it means to serve others and what it means to be in relationship with one another, what it means to talk about the story of God in the world. We don't have to look at hypothetical situations. We can look right to Scripture, right to Jesus Christ, who was not 50% God and 50% man. He was 100% God, 100% human. As our pastor says, uniquely blended together. He was 100% the same as me. Skin and bones, blood. He walked the earth just like I do. So when I'm trying to figure out what it means to live, what it is that God is doing, how God would want me to live in this world, I look to Christ. I look to his example. I look to the way that he lives. You know, I told you I've got four kids. The three oldest boys, seven, five, and about two and a half. We, we play games a lot at our house. The little girl, Kenley, she's just sweet. 
She just watches us and laughs still. But the three boys, we play a lot. We play games. We'll play baseball in the yard. We'll play whatever. We'll watch TV together. We'll do a lot of things. But we love, my, especially my middle son, Branson, we love to play hide-and-seek. And here's, here's the truth about it, okay? No, not, no pride at all. I'm a really good hider. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I'm really good. Yeah, they're five. But, I mean, I'm really good. And so here, here's what happens. We, we, we play hide-and-seek at my house. And I go hide and just take a nap because they're never going to find me. But there comes a point in that game where I want them to find me. And so I'll just kind of stick my leg out from under the bed, throw my arm out of the shower curtain, ruffle something that makes a noise. And it's amazing that immediately they, they, they hear that and they run there. They, they come into that room and they, they look under the bed. They look in the shower. They see my hand. They see my arm. They hear the noise. And they run to that place. And you know what they say when they get there? They never, not one time have they ever said, Oh, Dad, you let us find you. No, Branson runs in and says, We found you. <laughs> Guess what? They did. Because I made myself known to them. I revealed myself to them in such a way that they could find me. That's the story of God and his son, Jesus Christ, and me and you. You and I are hunting in the dark, seeking something we have no idea how to find. And God allows us to live in a world that reflects his glory and hold a scripture that tells his story and worship and serve and have relationship with his one and only son because he loved us enough to send him here. That should tell you a lot about how much God wants you to know him. And not just to know about him like we watched in the video. Not just to know a few truths about him and what you heard about this God person thing out there somewhere. But to know him intimately. God has made himself vulnerable to us and said, into me see. I open myself up. What do you want to know? I illuminate myself so that you can know and understand me. And as you know and understand me better, I reveal more of myself to you now. Jesus came to this earth as a baby. He walked the earth. He did incredible miracles. He he hung out with a ragtag bunch of folks. And at the end of his life, he went to a cross Abandoned by all those relationships on earth, seemingly. And he hung between heaven and earth. And eventually he said to his father, it is finished. The work that you sent me here to do is done. And his body hung lifeless on a cross and the blood spilled out of his body. And in that moment here on earth, he passed away. But just before he went to that moment... He sat down with those closest to him and he had a meal. 
Some have referred to that as the Last Supper. We sometimes hear this idea of agape meal, this close, personal, meaningful meal together shared over love and relationship. We're going to partake in that today. We're going to have communion. The ushers are going to come in just a moment and they're going to serve you. And let me just give you a little bit of instruction. This is a very sacred moment. It's not something to be taken lightly. They're going to come and they're going to pass some trays. And in those trays are these little bread cracker wafers. And we just ask you to take one of those in your hand and continue to pass the tray along. There's another tray that will come and it will have a cup of grape juice there. Just take one of those cups and hold those elements in your hand. We're going to come back in just a moment and take communion together. But I'm asking you just to hold those elements in your hand. And the band's going to sing. And as they do, I just want you to think about this. We'll come back to this idea. But you're holding in your hand, not a a bread cracker piece, but you're holding what Christ said. This represents my body, which was broken for you. You're holding not just a cup of juice, but he said, this this is representative of my blood, which was spilled out for you. He's saying, listen, you want to know my father intimately? Here's me. Take me. So that you can know the father. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and prepare to serve you with communion again. Just hold those elements. And as they sing, I just encourage you just to just to ponder that. If there's something in your heart and in your life that you need to correct here, you need to get right with God. You need to acknowledge to him, God, listen, there's some things in my life that are not right. I am making myself vulnerable to you. I'm opening myself up to you to say, hey, listen, I've got some issues here. Would you forgive me? Whatever you need to do to participate in this moment and and honor the sacredness of this moment, I encourage you to do that. We're going to come back and partake together, but just hold those in your hand and think about what those mean.